This is Esculapius, a podcast that uncovers the human side of our healthcare professionals. I'm your host, John Neary. Today, my guest is Dr. Marnie Chanoff. Dr. Chanoff is an integrative psychiatrist on staff at McLean Hospital and Harvard Medical School. Dr. Chanoff did her medical training at the University of Miami School of Medicine and completed her residency at Harvard Medical School. She has also trained extensively in Ayurvedic studies, nutrition, and lifestyle medicine, which she incorporates into her treatment plans. Dr. Chanoff also maintains a private practice and will be launching an online integrative health program in 2022 called Joy in Health. Marnie, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Great to be here. Um, so integrative health is a term we are beginning to hear more online at our gyms, at our yoga studios, and throughout our healthcare system. Um, so as a clini- clinician, uh, what does the term integrative health mean to you uh, as an approach to medicine and healthcare? Well, to me, it means taking the best knowledge and approaches from various medical systems and health care systems and figuring out how they can work together and complement each other to bring a holistic, um, nuanced, individualized treatment approach to the person who I'm working with. Can you discuss how you got uh, interested in integrative psychiatry and and perhaps uh, how it deviates from traditional approaches to, to psychiatric care? Sure. So when I was going through my psychiatry training, um, which was very, you know, rigorous and um, intense, you know, as, as training programs are, I found that the things that I, um, the things that I were doing to take care of myself uh, was sort of a combination of my own yoga practice and yoga learning and sort of understanding the kind of the yogic way of life together with my own psychotherapy, my own reaching out to friends and family for support, my own um, nutrition practices, you know, eating well, trying to get some sleep where I can, although, you know, when you're a resident, it's really difficult to have much control over your schedule. And so what I walked away from those, you know, four years of training was that, that it takes you know, multiple practices and multiple sort of ways of looking at health to really, for me, to really support my own uh, resilience. And that was further validated later on in life when I was, I went through the hardest time of my life so far, taking care of my mother who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and got very ill very quickly. It's a very, very stressful, sad, um, you know, devastating period of time. I also had two little kids at home working full time. And, you know, what I realized then was that I actually didn't need to go and talk and process it so much with a professional, a therapist, you know, like the therapist who was wonderful, who I was seeing during residency. But what I really needed to do was get back to my yoga practice and use my body as a source of grounding and support and wisdom 
along with the breathing practices that go along with yoga. And when, when she passed away and I was grieving, I went to Kripalu, um, which is a yoga healing center. And I gave myself the gift of three days of healing, um, of just quiet time to myself. And I, there I was introduced to Ayurveda as a whole healthcare system that brought together all of the modalities that I was intuitively using for myself to heal and to support my resilience. And when I saw that there was this healthcare system that had been in practice for thousands of years, um, it's, it's a healthcare system originating from India. What I realized was that, you know, I didn't have to figure out a new system and didn't have to figure out a new way of putting all these things together, that there was this really beautiful system that already sort of understands the importance of, of this kind of comprehensive way of caring for oneself. And all I had to do was learn this new system and understand the way these, these modalities were related to each other. And so I did that. I, I, uh, I marched up to the dean's office and I sat with her and said, I absolutely need to understand this. I need to learn this. It was one of those aha moments in my life. And there I was, you know, and it was a student again, learning from the very beginning. Um, and so from there, you know, what I tried to do was recognize the ways in which I was bringing all of these kind of intuitive practices to my own life and how to slowly and cautiously and responsibly start bringing them into my work with patients. And what I found was many patients were desperate for other resources and other modalities to complement what we were doing with their medication management and their psychotherapy not everybody, but many people were really, really um, excited and motivated to bring these into their lives. And so from then, uh, you know, I've been working hard to figure out, you know, the art of the blending, the art of bringing in Western and Eastern practices in a way that makes sense to everyday people. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just the beautiful thing uh, that you said that uh, was reiterated to me uh, by another integrative physician I, I talked to is that the, the cool thing is that you can go out and sort of try all these things for yourself and connect with patients at such a deeper level because you've sort of explored all these things as opposed to, you know, other aspects of medicine where a, a surgeon necessarily can't go through a surgery and, and talk about his experience with the patient who's set to have it. Um, you mentioned obviously a lot of things, Ayurveda, uh, reaching out to friends for social support, I know you're really big in nutrition. How do you kind of, like you said, uh, kind of master this art of incorporating so many different modalities into an individualized uh, treatment plan? Well, I'm not sure I've mastered the art yet. It is, you know, it, it is, you know, as these things are in our personal lives, it is, it is a practice. Um, I think because I've been at it for a while now, it, these things have become part of my life. And so as, as you were saying, they've come, it comes from a place of firsthand knowledge or, or firsthand experience. And so what's most important to me is that I don't become like, you know, uh, rigid about any of this. And I don't pretend that I have 
the answers for the person that's in, you know, that I'm working with that's right in front of me. Right. So the place that I start, which I think is really important is that the person in front of me is on their own path. They're, they're on their own journey and, and their journey is different than mine. And they're, they are open and receptive and ready to integrate some things in their lives that I probably would never be ready or open to doing and, and vice versa. And so I, I try to approach this as this individualized kind of, you know, art where I ask a lot of questions. I really get to know the person as much as I can in front of me. And I, I'm very aware that the things that I would love for them to do are not yet in their, you know, it's not, they're, they're not going to yet, they're not ready for it yet. Maybe one day, maybe never. So what I try to do is get a sense of how ready the person is to make change and, you know, change, making these changes in lifestyle, diet, you know, taking in practices, um, you know, that have been established 5,000 years ago, many of them are being um, sort of validated by scientific research right now. And some of them are a little bit more intuitive, which, you know, may, may really resonate with some and may not with others. I try to just gauge, you know, for this particular person, what do I think, number one, could be most impactful? And two, what are they ready to try? And so sometimes I get it right and sometimes I get it wrong. Um, and oftentimes I just take the approach of opening it up to conversation. Here's all the things that we could try. Which one of these to start feel like they resonate with you the most? And then we start from there. And it can be just one small, small thing because, you know, change is hard. And, you know, especially if you're struggling with, you know, depressive symptoms or anxiety or, mood instability or trauma, you know, making these changes can be very challenging. And so we try to start with like one thing and just from there, you, you, you build and you make, you, you know, you make progress by building a sense of confidence and competence and, and you support someone as much as you can and recognize that change is not linear and that there's going to be many bumps in the road. And that's all part of the process. Yeah, I think it's super interesting what you're saying about how you need to, to meet the patient where they're at and kind of explore what they're ready for. Um, I imagine, you know, any sort of lifestyle changes, right, requires a lot of work. And I think especially when it comes to nutrition, we can kind of feel like, you know, if making this change is sort of depriving myself or, or it's just going to be, you know, not worth, worth the work and the effort. So how do you kind of, uh, you know, set the right tone and attitude for patients to kind of, uh, you know, acknowledge that there will be work in making lifestyle changes, but that'll be, you know, worth it in the end for, for better health. Well, you know, I think that I can tell someone that, but unless they start to experience that, it's just going to feel like another lecture from another doctor, you know, as much as I try to, <clears throat> you know, try to feel like I'm presenting it in a, in a different way. It's, you know, so many people have gone to the doctor and have like sat there and the doctor says, you know, you really should exercise more, or, you know, you really need to lose weight. And, um, you know, those experiences can be, um, really demoralizing for people. And when, when people are demoralized, um, in some cases traumatized, you know, um, they can leave with a real sense of shame and shame, 
makes people feel like they need to just shut down and protect themselves. So I, I try to just find a place to start that feels like it wouldn't be depriving, you know, and, and so that, you know, that can be in the form of, um, you know, sort of figuring out how to get someone to start moving in a different way, you know, even if it's starting with, you know, when you, when you commute to work, although a lot of people are not commuting to work as much anymore, but, you know, you know, is there a way that you can just get off from the, the train at, you know, two stops before and add a five minute walk into your day? Or can you just start parking, you know, in the parking spot farthest away from the grocery store? Or can you call a friend and go for a 10, 15 minute walk once a week? Um, you know, those kinds of things or with diet, you know, can you start, you know, even starting with a lot of people are really trying to work on their addiction to sugar. Are there sugar substitutes? Are there ways that you cannot feel like you're giving up sugar completely, but that there are certain things that you're learning that, you know, doesn't, they don't have to be as sweet or, you know, even with coffee, you know, putting less sugar in just a little bit at a time, work your way down. And that doesn't work for everyone because a lot of people are dealing with intense addiction to, to sugar um, or, you know, people are dealing with um, severe depressive symptoms that make it hard to want to do any of this. But you get the sense of just starting small and figuring out what's most important to this person. What are they most ready or not, even if they're just contemplating kind of making change, what, what, what would be a place for them you know, to start what's most important to them. Um, and so you get, it's, it's not easy, right? So you get the picture of like, you just have to find the seedlings of where the energy and the drive and the motivation and the interest really are. And then you just sort of work from there. Um, I do try to provide a roadmap you know, this is, these are all of the aspects of health. These are all of the areas that we can work on. And, you know, if someone is really motivated, it's really helpful to come up with goals, you know, three month goals, six month goals, where if you, you know, if you could choose where you'd like to be in three months from now, where, what, what would that look like for you? Um, so that, that could be a really nice approach for some people. And then for some people, they're not ready to do that work. And so we have to start with more of the foundation building so that they can even imagine having a healthier life. Sometimes that can even be difficult in and of itself. Can you uh, talk about the main principles and concepts in uh, Ayurveda and how we can kind of in Western medicine learn more from the, this healing tradition? Sure. So as I mentioned, Ayurveda is a whole healthcare system recognizing that we have to tend to the mind, the body, and the spirit. And this healthcare system is like other traditional medicines where it's based on the laws of nature. Um, as humans, you know, in this modern society, there are so many ways that we feel like we don't have to really live our lives according to the natural laws, right? We have air conditioning, we have heat, we have lights, we have, you know, fast food, we have processed food, we have, you know, we, there's all these ways that we don't really have to sort of live our lives like the way that 
human beings have been living their lives, you know, for thousands of years. We've we found it. We've found ways to kind of skirt around those, um, which all turn out to be not 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 particularly healthy. You know, convenient but not healthy. And so this goes back to the fact that we are all, um, you know, we are we are natural beings, and if we can start living according to the laws of nature, then we will be healthier. And so this is an elemental science, much like other traditional medicines, um, where that you know there are elements, natural elements that comprise all of us that live within us. Um, Ayurveda talks about these kind of life forces that um, govern our anatomy and physiology. And it mostly talks about the fact that we actually know what we need. Our, we have this innate healing, this inner wisdom. The body and the mind and the spirit already know what they need to be balanced. And because of our lifestyles and because of life circumstances and because of trauma and loss and grief and stress, we have a real tendency to become imbalanced. And everybody knows what that feels like. But to conceptualize it in this way, it, to me, is, is very smart because what it says is, of course, we are, we're all out of balance at times. The trick with Ayurveda that can be extremely helpful is to start paying very, very, very close attention to all of the signals and the cues that the mind and the body and the spirit give you. Scream to you, I'm not well, I'm not well, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling good today. I'm exhausted, I'm stressed, I'm anxious. And to start paying attention to all of those signs and signals that the body and the mind give you and really start being in relationship with those because those are the earliest, earliest signs of imbalance. And Ayurveda believes that if you can catch these imbalances early, you can reverse them. It's when you ignore, 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 push through, push through, push through for months, maybe years, that these things start to form these kind of um, more solidified, permanent problems in the body. And that is the precursor to disease. And then once you have a disease, it can be much, much harder to reverse them. And then you get into kind of disease management or illness management rather than prevention. I think for our purposes, that's probably, I mean, I could get into a lot more detail, but I think that that kind of summarizes the, the, the beauty and the power of this medicine. Yeah, can you talk about the challenges of sort of tuning into those uh, signals, like you said, from the body, the mind, and spirit, when um, a lot of our, as you've alluded to previously, like the American culture is about sort of just pushing through and, and kind of uh, being successful in, uh, you know, whether it be work or school or, or, or whatnot, and, and kind of, uh, you know, those, those, aren't, those, those circumstances aren't always, uh, you know, don't really allow us to, to, to tune into what's going on. Right. I mean, that is, that is the great challenge. We're, we're living in a culture that, um, you know, get that, that overpowers these single signals and, um, you know, the, the influences and the pressures and the conditioning 
in our society are much more loud and powerful and persistent sometimes than those early, those early warning signs. So that, I, that is the power of yoga and that's the power of breathing and that's the power of therapy, you know, where, um, and you don't, you know, and I say therapy, you know, a lot of people work with themselves, you know, if, if there's other practices that, you know, support you, but, you know, it's, you have to be able to take breaks. You have to be able to find quiet time. You have to be able to tune out all the noise and all of those external pressures and voices, because what happens is those external pressures and voices from a very, very early age become internalized. And we become conditioned at a very early age, like this is normal. This is okay. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And you have all of this modeling that if you do all of this, you're going to be successful. And you have all these outside pressures that say, this is what success looks like, or this is what is expected of you. And if you're not doing all of these things, you're going to fall behind. You're not going to get into that school. You're not going to get that job. You're not going to get that promotion, right? And so it's deeply conditioned from a very early age that like that hard work, that, you know, pushing through is essential for success. And, you know, to be fair, there are times in life where that may be true, right? So there have been times in my life where, you know, I was not taking care of myself and, you know, to, you know, training to be a physician is, you know, you, you give up a lot. It's you, you sacrifice a lot. And when you're young, the body and the mind are for some people, not for everybody, you know, can be more, you know, sort of tough and it can roll with the punches a little bit more and, you know, can bounce back. But as you, as you kind of are, you know, are at it for many years and you get older and, you know, it, it becomes harder to bounce back and your body becomes more sensitive to sleep deprivation and the chronic stress. And that's when all of these chronic issues, you know, set in for some people. Now that's not true for, for mental health, because there are some people from a very early age who develop depression and anxiety and all of that. But I'm just, you know, I don't, so I don't want this to get confused with like, you know, primary, you know, um, primary uh, conditions or primary issues that, you know, you could, you could be the most well-rounded and get the most sleep and eat the most, you know, healthy food, and you can still develop symptoms. I don't, I don't want to get into that. I don't, I don't want to minimize that part of it because that is true, but, you know, generally, especially with this chronic stress, um, you know, it just, it's, it's something that gets conditioned early. And so if you want to go through this path of healing, it's not just about, you can't start over, but so you have to start reversing some of these patterns and develop different ways and strategies to, to, to connect with your deeper inner wisdom. And that, you know, that can be in the form of meditation or even in a light version of that, just learning how to sit with oneself in a quiet room for five minutes, maybe 10 minutes, um, and just to be with oneself and pay attention to what's happening. I mean, it's, it's, it's meditation. Um, yoga is a practice that allows you also to just pay attention to what's happening in the body 
where are you holding stress? What does that feel like? What does that, you know, what, where is the pain? Where is the tension? And then when, when you're working with that in your daily life, you start to notice that pain and tension showing up for you while you're sitting at your desk and on a zoom call. And you're like, wow, that's there all the time. What can I do to work with that? And then there are these both mental and physical practices that you can start to work with it. Um, and I think it's just as simple as that, really getting down to that very, very sort of simple, simple connection with oneself. Can you uh, tell our listeners more about your, your uh, program that you're launching, Joy and Health, and, and kind of why you decided to, to spearhead this initiative? Sure, sure. This is, um, this is an exciting time. So when, um, when COVID hit in March of 2020, I was in the process of um, thinking about expanding my, my practice to include more of these integrative modalities. Um, I was, you know, in solo private practice and, and doing a lot of this, but, you know, you, you realize that it does, you know, if you want to really integrate more and more of these practices, you know, it, you need a team of experts who maybe, you know, or have expertise in one certain area and you can't do all of this work alone, right? It's always nice to have a group of people. Then you're <clears throat> combining your, your expertise and thoughts and um, approaches. So I was planning on moving in that direction. And then with COVID, I, like everybody else, went home and never went back to my office. Um, and so what happened with that was very interesting because all of a sudden the media was really interested in mental health. I think the media became very interested in how people were going to get through that time of you know, early COVID. And there was so much suffering that the media um, started to recognize that this, this, this part of this COVID story needed to be told. So I was working with um, the media relations team at McLean Hospital and started doing media where I would go on, you know, the local news or the radio and talk about the stress response and talk about practices that people could use to get through this, you know, enormously difficult time. And what I started recognizing was that number one, everyone was at home. And number two, Zoom was effective. And we're all learning that, you know, Zoom actually can, can, be effective in many ways. It's, I don't think it's the end all be all, but you know, we, we all have figured out how to use uh, Zoom, particularly in mental health telemedicine, I think actually quite well. And so I um, decided last spring to create a program for people to really work with re-entry anxiety. That was when the vaccinations were coming out and people were starting to think about getting back to life. And what I was seeing in my practice was a lot of anxiety and a lot of uncertainty and people weren't sure that they were going to be able to make that transition safely, or they didn't have the tools to go back. Um, you know, so, so I, I did a zoom based, um, COVID anxiety workshop and I got a lot of really great feedback. People seemed to really enjoy it. And it really got me thinking about things that I could do online to help support people's, you know, at home practices. Um, and it could be 
video-based. And with that, I could reach so many more people than I can in my, my private practice and in my office setting. So I decided to move forward and I've reached out to some of my most trusted and um, inspiring leaders in the field of integrative medicine and Ayurveda. And I called them and said, this is what I'd like to do. I think that if we can put together an online program, we can reach a lot of people. We can you know, do our best to keep it accessible and affordable rather than <clears throat> private practice care, which can be very expensive for all kinds of reasons. And the other thing is that so many mental health clinicians right now are full. It's really, really hard to find someone that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that have um, openings in their practices. Everyone is inundated. Hospitals are inundated. Clinics are inundated. It can be like, I have people, you know, who tell me it can take months to find a therapist. And so I thought, well, that's, that, that's okay. Get on those wait lists. But there's so much we can be doing at home for ourselves. We just need to provide the, um, the knowledge, the resources, and the, um, you know, sort of that coaching piece to help people. And so what we've decided is to launch this program, give it a try. It'll be, you know, be really interesting and fun. And it's gonna, we're gonna launch it, um, hopefully, the, you know, January, February and get the first, we're going to hopefully have some really nice kind of intro launch events in January. And then the first module um, we're planning to start in February. So do you, I kind of springboarding off what you're saying, do you, do you feel like this is kind of an inflection point for mental health care delivery and that, you know, people don't really, can't really access it, whether because of the price point or because there's no availability and that uh, you know, you're going to start seeing more of these online options for, for people to, to get the, the care they need. I think it's, yes, I do. I mean, we know that actually like the group model can really bring down costs for people. Um, and we know that it's makes it more accessible. You can reach people. The tricky part is differentiating care from knowledge and support. Um, so this program will not be treatment. This will be, um, you know, providing information, inspiring, you know, empowering people to do all of the things that can complement treatment. So that's going to be tricky um, because if someone is, you know, has a, you know, a, a significant depression or anxiety, it doesn't solve the problem of them not having access to um, care you know, with a proper psychiatric evaluation and medication management and psychotherapy, um, we're not, you know, we're not in the position to be able to provide care online right now. And, and even that is, is tricky um, because of licensing uh, requirements and practicing within one state and all of that. So there's all kinds of reasons why providing treatment online, you know, it can be challenging, although there's so many um, programs popping up that, you know, people are doing psychotherapy online um, and other modalities of treatment online. Um, so, I, but, but this is going to be just like sort of all of those other practices, nutrition, lifestyle, yoga, meditation, all of those practices that can complement treatment as someone is either in treatment or waiting to get into treatment um, or for, for people with very mild symptoms, um, that we, you know, that are more about these imbalances, empowering people to try these and see how much of those imbalances they can start to reverse on their own. 
And maybe, you know, it's prevention and they don't need to the urgency around starting a medication or starting um, a psychotherapy is not as urgent, or at least in their mind, they think, well, maybe I can do other things to support my health. So it's just basically like opening up the options and trying to help people realize that with or without active treatment, there's so much that they can be doing. Yeah, I, I certainly feel like um, there's a number of people I encountered in my life who are like kind of on the borderline, right? Like COVID has created a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, but it's uh, for a lot of people, it's, it's at the point where do I, you know, try and create a formal clinical relationship or do I just seek support and resources? So how, uh, what advice would you give to people who um, perhaps like don't know whether like, is it an either or thing in your mind or, you know, can they do both or what's the best way to kind of look for resources or look for actual uh, clinical treatment? Well, ideally you would have a, a mental health clinician help you decide. Um, so you're not, you know, you're, you're getting, <clears throat> you're getting the best advice and you're getting the best clinical recommendations to help figure out, is this something that, um, you know, that could really benefit from more formal treatment or not. Now that, you know, again, is really hard to access um, right now. And, and actually for many people have always been hard to access. And so I think um, getting a lot of your own education, doing the research, trying programs like Joy and Health and others to see how much benefit you personally can, can get from these practices and, you know, does it target your symptoms? Does it, you know, help you feel more empowered and resilient to keep building on these practices? Or, you know, there are some people that they do all of this and it's not enough. And that becomes clear. Like I'm doing all the things. I hear this a lot. I'm doing all the things I'm working on my sleep. I'm exercising. I try to meditate. I'm reaching out to friends. I'm trying to eat healthier. I'm doing all the things and I still feel awful. Okay, well, that's a lot of information. And that would be a real signal that there may be something that, um, it, that's out there in the form of treatment that will be much more effective for you. You know, and then there's other people who are like, you know, I'm starting to feel calmer. You know, I do this practice most days you know, I'm starting yoga online. I'm um, starting to really go to sleep earlier. I'm changing the content of, you know, the media content that I'm consuming. I'm, you know, shutting down my phone and reading a book instead of getting all worked up on Instagram or Twitter. And I realize that I'm starting to feel a little better. Well, great. That's a really great place to begin. And for some people that that may be enough. Um, but what we're hoping to do with joy and health is not just, you know, sort of say, these are the things that you should be doing or that you could be doing, but to actually provide the education to explain why one should really invest in these practices, to really provide, you know, an, a, the, the education, like this is what your body, this is how your body is wired. This is the, this is what the nervous system does. You know, because unless you've gone through training, unless you've taken anatomy and physiology, a lot of people don't really know how the body works. 
And knowledge is power. If you know how the nervous system works and you know that there are these, you know, thousand year practices that are now evidence-based that shows you, if you do this, you can actually change the way your nervous system functions. That's huge, right? It, and it gives people a sense of like, oh, I didn't know that. Maybe I should try that. If that makes sense to me. You know, like people are really smart and people, like I was saying before, people have this inner wisdom and this intuition. So if you tell people the why, if you explain the why and the importance of trying, and then they can try, they can feel it. So you're combining that kind of education with this first person experience and together those, those kinds of experiences can really um, inspire people to try and to keep, keep learning. I want to ask you a, a few more questions about just your, your clinical experiences as, as a psychiatrist. I imagine, uh, you know, over the years, you've encountered a lot of people in severe and severe, in severe mental and emotional uh, distress. So what is it like to work with a patient uh, in crisis? Um, well, you're right, I have. Um, and I will tell you that particularly right now, a lot of people are in crisis. Um, I'm sure you've been seeing the numbers and reading about the mental health crisis. So a lot of people are in crisis right now. Um, you know, those moments of getting someone through a crisis um, can be really scary. Um, they can be very powerful um, in this line of work. It's often the uh, power of the relationship that can get someone through. Um, you know, you, you have to use that connection that you've hopefully established, whether it be with one visit or five to 10 years of treatment um, to really help people feel number one, not alone and two, hopeful. Um, so, you know, those moments are, are very scary and challenging, um, but they're also extremely powerful in that you recognize that through the use of your own self and all of the work and training and education that you have, that you can really be there with someone to guide them so that they can make the right decisions for themselves moving forward. And sometimes you can get through, you can work with someone uh, closely enough to get them through the crisis based on your own relationship. And oftentimes it's just helping them see that they need more and that they need to access resources in an emergency room or hospital or um, you know, a more intensive program than, than at least right now in private practice that I'm able to provide. Um, but so those moments are, are very scary and also very intimate um, and very, very powerful. Can you talk about uh, sort of the emergence of nutritional psychiatry and, and the research that's connecting, you know, gut health to mental wellness? Sure. So this is, you know, an exciting time for nutrition. Um, we now have um, at least a few randomized control studies looking at the role of nutrition in depression. 
um, there are people, there are providers out there who are doing a lot of this work, um, both research-wise and clinically. And we're finding that, you know, even in the research outside of mental health, the very um, intricate connection between what's happening in the gut and what's happening all over the body and mind in terms of inflammation. So what's really interesting about this is that in Ayurvedic terms, they've, they've been practicing this for thousands of years. So it's, it's really, really interesting to see how it's becoming more and more um, uh, sort of accepted and studied and validated in Western medicine. Um, but, you know, it makes perfect sense. You know, we all hear the term, you are what you eat. We now have science showing that what you put into your gut affects the physiology in the gut, which has multiple connections to other areas of the body, other organs of the body, which make per perfect sense, right? Like, so if you, if you're eating food that has a certain nutritional profile, that of course is going to support the entire body, every cell in the body. And what we're finding is that, you know, through the kind of the Western diet, the American diet full of processed foods, trans fats, salt, sugar, that these are pro-inflammatory foods causing inflammation throughout the body and the brain. And so it's another way of seeing that if you can change the actual content of the food, you can impact the way you feel physically and mentally. So there, we now are moving into an evidence base which is kind of the gold standard in Western care to support this. Um, and, you know, we can get down into the nitty gritty of certain, you know, nu the nutrients that are better for the brain, certain foods that seem to be better for the brain. Um, you know, there's a lot of research now looking at those kind of those essential nutrients and what they do in the body. I, I tend to start with more of just the big picture, you know, um, moving towards more whole foods. Um, I don't tend to prescribe very um, specific diets unless there's a medical condition, but just thinking more holistically about this, you know, this, this meal you're having, how much of it seems like real food to you you know, how much of it is processed, how much of it is packaged, how much of it has these really high salt and sugar and fat and content. Um, of course, there's really healthy fats that you can get from whole foods. So I, I tend to just practice from there. And then really through culinary coaching, which is kind of a new, really exciting field, help people figure out how do you take that information and start working in your own kitchen with very simple tools and pots and pans and, you know, utensils to start learning how to make very simple, healthy, whole food meals. And the more, the more you can help people realize that, you know, the more home cooking you do, um, the more control you have over what you're eating, the less processed food you're consuming, the more control you have over what you're putting in your body in the form of whole foods and less chemicals and less processed, processed foods and people start to feel better. Last uh, question I have for you uh, is kind of related uh, 
some of your, your psychotherapy training. I know you're trained as a psychodynamic therapist. Can you explain, uh, you know, what psychodynamic therapy entails and why, you know, ex exploring the, the subconscious uh, with the patient can be a useful exercise? Sure, sure. You know, I, I think it, it's actually similar to this idea of tuning in um, and starting to really get under all the muck and all the conditioning to, to connect with your deeper, deeper self, right? Through these other intuitive med meditation yoga practices. This kind of comes at it through the mind. And what we know, again, from a very, very early age, we are deeply conditioned to think, act, feel certain ways. Um, and that's just, you know, what happens when we grow up as a kid and as an adolescent. And then from there, we develop these, basically these strategies for, you know, survival. And a lot of those strategies keep us safe and protected and resilient and successful. And a lot of those strategies, whether they're conscious or unconscious, they get in our way of living our most authentic lives. And so as we get older, some of those old patterns and behaviors and ways of keeping ourselves safe and protected get in the way of growth and get in the way of having deep, meaningful, loving relationships and getting in the way of like a true expression. And so this, this form of therapy, uh, you know, oftentimes we think of it as kind of insight-oriented therapy, trying to use the connection that you can create with someone to really kind of go deeper and deeper and deeper and recognize where people are using kind of protective mechanisms, we call them defenses, to keep themselves safe which actually can then um, sort of create these walls and or toxic behaviors that no longer serve. And if you can help people start to become aware of the ways in which they are doing that, because a lot of this, you know, a lot of the things we do as humans to survive and to get through, you know, we're doing it, like you said, subconsciously, unconsciously, like we're not even aware of it. Sometimes it takes someone to be like, you, do you realize you're doing that? Like, do you realize what you're saying right now? Can you slow it down? And can we look at that together? And can we see how that, this strategy that you're using right now, can you see how that shows up in your life over and over and over again? Um, you know, that might happen over the course of, you know, a few months or a few years, but, you know, you realize that the things that keep us strong or that we used to think, you know, helped us or did help us or helped us survive, um, they become more rigid and um, unhelpful. And so the idea is to build awareness of that and to help people come up with new ways of coping um, and develop more sort of mature or nuanced um, ways of coping so they don't have to rely all the time on those old patterns and behavior. But first you have to help people see it. It's that, it's that awareness, it's that insight. Um, and then the next step will be, okay, how ready are you to start building in these new ways, which, you know, if someone needed these 
defenses to keep themselves safe. You know, if they grew up in a home that wasn't safe, it's not easy to let go or to, you know, kind of relax these defenses. And that can take a lot of time and a lot of work to, to let go or to relax so that you can bring in new practices and new strategies. Yeah, I think, yeah, just what you're talking about is pretty fascinating. I think it could take you a lot of interesting places in terms of exploring consciousness. And we all kind of have, you know, we, we, we can talk about our individual uh, subconscious, but we also kind of have a, a collective unconscious uh, subconsciousness in a way, right, that sort of permeates society and, and builds values that we may not necessarily be, be cognizant of. So mm-hmm. something, uh, something I hope to explore kind of in the future as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, I think therapy, um, or this kind of building awareness and insight is good for all of us. You know, um, they, you know, in psychiatry training, they say, you know, everyone should go through their own therapy and many of us, or most of us, I hope do. And it is extremely informative and, you know, um, can really help shape the course of one's life. So I'm all for it. Yeah. And I, I just think, yeah, the amazing thing about integrative health and some of the stuff you're doing, it's like you said, not only about sort of treating pathologies, treating conditions, but also sort of the betterment of the well and, and promoting, promoting health instead of just skipping to disease states. And when we're thinking about healthcare, um, mm-hmm. last thing I have for you is a, a lightning round. So that's a series of, of fast paced questions that tell us more about you. Um, so what is your go-to self-care technique? I, uh, well, I have, I have a few, but the thing that just came to my mind is a really nice hot bath at the end of a cold, cold winter day. What is the most used app on your phone? I think in that vein, I would say, I don't know. The thing that just came to my mind is the weather app, but I'm a Florida girl living in Boston. So you get the idea. Okay. Okay. (laughs) What is your pet peeve? Uh, my pet peeve. I think when people, um, people think that they, they know what they know, what's right for others without really having a full understanding of things that kind of drives me crazy. What is your favorite thing to cook? I love making soup, (laughs) different, all kinds of soup. Also good for those cold Boston days, right? Yeah. Uh, Lastly, what is a topic you look forward to exploring more in psychiatry? I am actively exploring and learning about psychedelics and psychiatry. Nice. Yeah, I think, isn't, isn't like Michael Pollan, is he pretty, did he write a book about that psychedelic? Oh, yeah. 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 We credit him with bringing the psychedelics to, you know, the, the, the world in a really um, wonderfully related way. Nice. All right, Dr. Marnie Chanoff, thanks for so much for joining the show. All right. Thank you so much for having me. That concludes this episode of Esculapius. Till next time, I'm your host, John Neary. Be well.